Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the program. My guest today is Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, Army CIO G6. General Crawford, welcome to the program. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate what you're doing. So this is the first time uh, you're on the program. I've had the Army CIO on the show several times, the Deputy uh-huh. CIO several times. So there's a ton to catch up with. There's uh-huh. a ton to talk about. So let me just start at the beginning. Army Secretary Esper released a new Army vision back in June. Uh-huh. Let's discuss your role as a CIO, your uh-huh. role as a CIO to support that vision. One of the key components of, uh, of that vision by the Secretary and by the Chief of Staff of the Army is actually acknowledgement the the future operating environment. Based on the National Defense Strategy, and I'm pretty sure that you're very familiar with that and a lot of your listeners are, but we're literally entering an era of, uh, of great power competition where we have got to assume that every domain, whether it's cyber, air, land, sea, or space, uh, will be a contested uh, domain. Uh, and so uh, to counter, uh, the Army's got a new vision, and, uh, and that vision essentially says that uh, to build an Army of uh, 2028 that is ready to deploy, fight and win decisively against any adversary, anytime, anywhere, in a joint, and the key word being joint, the other key word being multi-domain, high-intensity conflict, uh, while simultaneously deterring others and uh, maintaining our ability to conduct irregular warfare, which is essentially kind of what we've been doing uh, with the coin fight of the past. And so a couple of pieces in terms of my responsibility in, in the role of delivering uh, the network, and most of that is policy, strategy, governance, and, and oversight. First and foremost, there are three priorities that the Secretary, so along with the vision the Secretary-in-Chief outlined, uh, it's readiness, it's modernization, uh, and reform. And so along with the vision and along with those three strategic priorities, what the Army has done is also outlined uh, six modernization priorities. And so uh, they are in order, uh, long-range precision fires, next-generation combat vehicle, future vertical lift, the network, ballistic missile defense, and then soldier lethality. And so when you think about each one of those uh, in in the context, you add context to them. So long-range precision fires, in order to develop uh, a projectile uh, that's going to go a certain distance, you know, almost a 10x capability from what we have now, it's going to require a significant sensor grid uh, in order to make that happen. Heavy reliance on the enterprise. When you think about the next generation combat vehicle, it is not just a replacement for the current you know, ground combat vehicle, the Abrams tank. But when you think about the next generation combat vehicle, think man-on-man teaming. You may see a formation of tanks where only a couple of people in those tanks might actually be humans. The others may be taking advantage of some of the advanced robot taking advantage of some of the advanced robotics technology. The future vertical lift, unmanned aerial vehicles, combined with some of the future technologies that are being developed by our defense and uh, commercial uh, industry partners. Obviously, the network and information technology. I believe you're following very closely uh, the exponential growth in that area. Ballistic missile defense, uh, and then soldier lethality. When you think soldier lethality, it's everything that increases the lethality of the individual soldier. And so we're going to measure a lot of things on the soldier. We're also going to put the soldier in an environment where they can fight virtually on any piece of ground uh, anywhere in the world uh, whenever they choose. So if you think holistically, and the reason I talk about the six modernization priorities, when I talk about my role, 
uh, in delivering a network. Every one of those six modernization priorities has a specific network requirement. And so the network of the future has got to be able to enable that. To put it simply, the network is a critical enabler to achieving uh, the Secretary of the Army's vision. Let's unpack the network discussion a little bit, because I think that, obviously, as you pointed out, underlies everything that the Army plans to do over mm-hmm. the next uh, 10 years. Discuss, if you can, what your plans are. What, what is your the CIO office's, if you will, priorities around network modernization? In terms of the priorities, so, so we've been actually on this intellectual journey uh, for about 18 months. That our, first, our chief of staff of the Army chartered and then our secretary of the army came in and 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 took the helm so the the last uh, i'd say the first year and change we were focused on the tactical network and what we call the mission command network if you remember last october a little over a year ago we stood up you announced the stand up of futures command and then we announced eight cross-functional teams and so there was one cross-functional team for each one of the six modernization priorities and then there was a cross-functional team for synthetic training environment the when I talked about social lethality, uh, the synthetic training environment, uh, it, CFT, is going to enable uh, what I talked about in terms of the soldier being able to virtually train on any piece of turf, uh, on any piece of ground uh, there is in the, in, in the world. And then the last cross-functional team uh, was assured uh, position, navigation, and timing. And so to the essence of your question in terms of our priorities, that first year, uh, the priorities by the cross-functional team, there, there were four, and they're enduring. Uh, it's uh, unifying the network, getting after the mobility and survivability of our command posts, developing a common operating environment. And when I talk about the common operating environment, think we've got about 16 disparate battle command systems. Some are for fire, some are for air defense, some are for intelligence. Being able to collapse those 16 uh, disparate systems, all with their own server, uh, tactical server in- infrastructure, into three different environments. A handheld environment, a uh, command post environment, uh, and a, uh, a mobile uh, or mounted uh, environment. And so think of the savings. Well, you mentioned efficiencies, uh, but this is more really more about effectiveness. Think of the savings associated with being able to collapse uh, those. And then the last priority uh, for the cross-functional team actually had to do with joint and coalition interoperability. I talked earlier about the importance of acknowledging as a part of the Secretary's vision that every one of the domains uh, are going to be contested. Uh, so this idea of multi-domain operations has become our, you know, the doctrine of, of the future for the Army. So uh, a task like uh, joint and coalition interoperability as a priority, it was exactly the right thing. So that was about the first 12 months in terms of our priorities. What we've done over the last six months is it's, so we started with the most important thing because of readiness being our number one priority. But then uh, once, in the cross-functional team, I can tell you, I, they've done a phenomenal job in terms of delivering actual capability, working with our closest uh, industry partners and some of the traditional partners, in addition to working with new partners uh, who've emerged, actually put capability uh, in the hands of soldiers and put us on the right track. But now comes the enterprise uh, and the importance of the enterprise. If you think about the ability to train at home station, in a virtual environment, if you think about the ability to be in route to an objective area and be able to maintain communications both with the forward area and back where you where you came from, if you think about the ability, okay, you're on the ground, 
with your device that gives you red and blue team uh, situational mm-hmm. awareness of what's going with the bad guys and where are my friends. The vast majority of that data that you're looking at on your screen, your handheld device, uh, or in your command post, uh, or while you're in route in a mobile environment, where is that data? It's back at Sanctuary. It sits back uh, where the data is being protected and being stored. And so when you think about the enterprise, you've got to think of it as a power projection platform. So what we've been focused on now, while we are driving really hard to solidify the great work and those four priorities that the cross-functional team have outlined, uh, that I outlined before, (laughs) we're now focused on the enterprise. And there are kind of three categories of things uh, that we've got to really focus on with the enterprise. Uh, first and foremost, you're in, back to readiness, because we anchor ourselves back to readiness. There are things that we've got to fix. So what do I mean by that? In regards to what service you talk to, a lot of the legacy infrastructure is either at or nearing end of life, whether you're talking about the, uh, the actual transport capability or the voice telephone capability. A lot of that capability capacity is at or near end of life. So there are things that we've got to fix. There are things that we've got to optimize. What do I mean by optimize? So I just told you that we spent the, the, the first 12 to 18 months mm-hmm. really focused on networking the soldier and networking the weapon system. Well, what we haven't done is optimize the enterprise to be able to fully enable that network soldier and that network weapon system, if that, if that uh, is, is clear. And so there are things we've got to fix because of readiness, aging infrastructure. There's things that we've got to optimize to be an enable that soldier that we've uh, networked and that weapon system. And finally, next generation technologies in terms of mo- actual modernization. So when you think about the capability that 5G brings, well, our current infrastructure is not set in order to be able to properly leverage 5G. If 5G were here tomorrow, uh, we would not be able to properly leverage 5G. And so that last modernization priority in terms of things we've got to fix, things we've got to optimize, and things we've got to modernize is all about setting conditions for the integration of next-generation technologies. All right. There's a ton to unpack there. Let me just back up for a second and and ask maybe maybe hopefully a simple follow-up question. When you talk about going back to the idea of tactical edge and and getting and improving the network there, you talked about 16 disparate battle commands and Hopefully, you can collapse them into three. Where are you with that? Is that that you know what you have to do? How are you going about doing it? This is uh, being led by the cross-functional team and and Major General Gallagher. They have uh, laid out the roadmap for collapsing those systems. Uh, A key part of the... the same look and feel that I talked about in the handheld and the mounted uh, and the command post is anchored in uh, the, it's called JBCP, but it's a joint battle command uh, platform. Uh, they've gone about baselining the Army mm-hmm. uh, against, uh, against those, those particular platforms. And so uh, that, that's uh, great work. They've actually also modernized uh, 246 different units across three components. So this isn't just about the active Army. Uh, this is Compo 1, Active, the Reserves, uh, and the Guard. They just completed uh, the network uh, integration uh, exercise uh, where uh, the several of these capabilities were put on display and actually systems under test. And so what we're waiting now is uh, to see the results of those particular experiments uh, to inform uh, the future design options for the Army. 
let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can maybe jump into a little bit more about the, the network integration exercise and, and maybe a little more details about that. Mm-hmm. My guest is uh, Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, Army CIO G6. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, Army CIO G6. General Crawford, uh, before break, we were talking about the different pieces of the network modernization. And, and toward the end of our discussion of, of the last segment, you talked about the network integration exercise, the NIE. And, and that's been around for about a decade, give or take. How do you see that changing? How do you see that kind of, if you will, transforming as, as things, as your needs change? We've gotten great use out of the NIE exercises over the last uh, 10 years or so. And you're exactly right, it's been around a long time. But what we found, so we learned a lot of things over the last 18 months. Of, uh, I called it an intellectual journey that the Army has been on. Uh, and, uh, and one of the things we learned is that we had to figure out how to get operators and developers closer together uh, so that the developers really understand what it is the operator intends to do. Uh, with their actual product. And so what you'll find is uh, if you talk to the network cross-function team, a key component of the find, try, adapt, and buy strategy uh, that they have uh, developed uh, and uh, way ahead that they've developed is this idea of live experimentation with live units of all kinds, whether it's an armor brigade combat team or an infantry brigade combat team or a striker brigade combat team, being able to, A, determine what capability is available right now, uh, whether it's capabilities in soft or capability that exists someplace else in the joint community, and being able to place that, that capability in the hands of soldiers. Uh, to experiment. Of course, the test community is a part of that to conduct evaluation. So instead of a static uh, environment of an NIE, a key component of find, try, adapt, and buy, which seems to be working very well uh, so far, and we're learning a lot of things uh, from that, uh, is, is this idea of being able to experiment with live units, uh, which is uh, a, a big part of what uh, Major General Gallagher and Major General Dave Bassett are doing, uh, the program executive officer. All under Army Futures Command, uh, the General Gallagher piece. Uh, General Bassett obviously still uh, works for ASALT, but those two are joined at the hip in this particular effort. Do you foresee that kind of change up to the NIE happening in 2019 or sooner? Uh, Absolutely. So what I will tell you is that actually we were able to get some things done uh, this past year. Uh, You had uh, organizations like 1st to the 508th Battalion, Infantry Battalion, and the 82nd. We had some uh, live experimentation actually occurring in Europe. There was live experimentation actually occurred with an element of 25th Infantry Division with some of the components uh, of the Win-T package. And so it's not limited to just radios. Some of it's limited to our command posts. But what it is, it's a structured environment with live units, uh, the test community joining at the hip with those who are, uh, or who are developing the concepts and getting feedback from those units who are conducting an experiment. Again, what this is about is informing future design uh, opportunities and efforts, not just we write the requirement, we hand it to industry, they deliver uh, the capability, and all of a sudden it's not what, what, what the actual warfighter needs. So I think this is uh, just given the speed of technology, this, uh, this find, try, adapt, and buy is a much better concept, uh, way of acquiring equipment 
than the way we were doing it in the past because it allows us to keep pace with technology. One of the reasons why this can happen, both whether it's in the military world or the civilian world, mm -hmm. is because of the cloud. And we, yes. we love to talk about the cloud, right? You can't get into a conversation or go to a conference without the cloud. Yeah. In all seriousness, it's, it's enabling that ability to do that quick insertion, to keep up with the speed of technology. So when we talk network modernization, I know the cloud's going to play a big role. Maybe mm -hmm. give us an update of where the Army is and, and kind of moving to and using right. the cloud. So first and foremost, the Department of Defense, the DOD CIO, Mr. DC and his team have done a phenomenal job articulating the importance of the cloud, the why of the cloud, uh, not just the what. And this idea that uh, as, an, as an organization, the Department of Defense has a need for a hybrid uh, multi-vendor enterprise cloud hosting environment. I believe you'll hear all of the service say, services say, absolutely, uh, we have a need for that. So inside the Army, one, uh, I think we're in sync with where Mr. D.C. Uh, and, and our, our leadership at OSD uh, want us to go. Uh, but the second piece of that is uh, the fact that we recognize that, that so the Army is the third largest organization of any kind in the world. Um, obviously, uh, very, very complex, but we've got significant data requirements. Right now, we estimate that we've got about 8,000 applications inside the Army. And so as we start to look at the cloud, so we've got enterprise cloud requirements, but we've also got tactical uh, cloud requirements, given a large portion of the Army formations are actually warfighting formations, our brigades, uh, our divisions, and, and our battalions. And that's all three compos. So, so where are we headed? Uh, I think what you'll see in, uh, in, in FY19 is significant movement uh, out of the Army in, in terms of laying the foundation uh, for developing uh, cloud hosting environments. And so uh, we recognize there is no one-size-fits-all. Uh, and so we're envisioning, uh, in, you know, in, in uh, collaboration and coordination with the DOD, a CIO, a, a hybrid uh, series of cloud hosting environments. Uh, so some of these, if you look at these 8,000 apps, some of them are very, very new. Some of them are what we call antique. Uh, but we've got to keep them around. So there is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to where, where we're going. So it's not just about putting our data in the cloud. We've got to be able to access that data. And so our identity, credentialing, authentication, and access management steps uh, also have to be taken in order to kind of you know, complete the circle. So it's not just about securing your data, but it's being able to access your data. And it's got to be able to be accessed anywhere, anytime, in all, all environments. I know you've made a lot of vendors happy by repeating the multi-cloud hybrid approach. There's mm -hmm. a lot of concern about the single cloud uh, approach. But the Army has been, in fact, out in front of many of the other services when it comes to the use of the cloud. You guys were the one of the first ones enterprise email with DISA, yeah. um, and you guys have the and, and I always mess up. It's, it's the one in um, Alabama, the cloud effort in Alabama with IBM. Uh -huh. uh, I won't call it yeah. Redstone, but is yeah, it was that Redstone. Oh, it was Redstone. Okay. Yeah. I always think that's in New Jersey. For yeah, some that, reason. yeah, that was that was a uh, that that was a pilot, and we learned a lot of things. Uh, you know, pilots sometimes people. You know, we have pilots and. In, and we fail to learn from them. So we learned a lot about dealing with and engaging with a commercial vendor mm -hmm. uh, from, uh, from security to the risk management framework and the importance of really, you know, really streamlining that particular process so we can actually you know, get authorities to connect things uh, to the network. And so uh, that pilot, uh, which ended uh, this past uh, spring, and, and where we're headed now is uh, off on a, a new venture. 
uh, in terms of the, the laying out the cloud uh, hosting environments uh, for the Army. So what I can tell you is uh, I would expect a significant activity uh, in uh, uh, 19 uh, out of the Army uh, when it comes to cloud. And, and just the last piece of this is I know this is shifting to MillCloud 2.0. Uh-huh. Uh, I know that there's the big uh, DOS procurement that's happening. Right. And you guys are in many ways already of, of meeting the, the the spirit and intent of DOS. You have everything in the DISA. Uh, they don't call it DEX anymore, but the right. data, centers. data centers. Where do you see MillCloud 2.0 fit into that bigger discussion about the, the right. hosting right. environment? All right. The DOD's general purpose and fit for purpose are going to absolutely provide a capability that we do not have. I also believe the great work that Admiral Vice Admiral Norton is doing with DESA with the Mill Cloud 2.0. When I talked about the hi- hybrid cloud options, I believe that all of those are options uh, for the Army, mm-hmm. both at the enterprise and, and, and at the tactical level. Uh, you know, one thing that we, we've learned, again, back to no, there, there is no one-size-fits-all. So it may very well be that we're going to need, some of our data is sensitive enough, where we're going to need an on-premise. Sure. Uh, type uh, type capability, and so we're what we're doing now is we're going through the rationalization process, uh, and uh, everything that I've learned uh, from talking to the, the various CEOs uh, and uh, the various engineers of all types of different companies who have gone out and actually migrated to the cloud, all the market research that I've seen that says you've got to set the environment first, then. So you want to fail fast if you're going to fail, uh, but you've got to get a series of very diverse pilots going to get back to informing future design options for what the ultimate cloud needs to look like for the Army. So you'll see some of that uh, happening uh, in in this coming year from the Army. But there's kind of two other problems we want to solve while we're doing this. So setting the environment, that's our big uh, goal uh, in FY19. But while we're doing that, we want to solve a couple of wicked problems uh, for the Army. So we've got some, I won't call it sensitive, uh, but important data that sits in a couple of our our data centers. While we're experimenting, we want to make sure that we bring that with us as a part of the experiment so we can solve one of those problems. The other piece of it is more uh, forward thinking. And so uh, I mentioned the six modernization priorities but I mentioned the eight cross-functional teams. So the synthetic training environment, think about this. There is about a seven to eight X increase in capacity required to realize this vision of uh, being able, a soldier being able to train on any piece of turf, Mm -hmm. uh, any piece of ground virtually, anywhere from any installation. We got 288 installations across the Army. Uh, And so again, uh, a lot of that is is gonna generate a lot of data. And so the other wicked problem we want to solve, so one's a legacy problem, but one is a future problem, looking at all of the eight cross-functional teams and what their data requirements are, but focusing mainly on the network CFT and on the synthetic training environment CFT. So while we set the environment in 19 and begin to migrate apps in 19, we want to make sure that we are addressing uh, laying the groundwork for those uh, synthetic training environment requirements as a part of future modernization, but also current readiness when we look at the you know very important data that we've got sitting in some of our legacy data centers that we could kind of bring with us, if that makes sense. 
It does. And, and I want to go down the path of kind of the virtual training piece because I think that all kind of fits into a broader conversation. But one last piece, just to clarify, when you go through, you say you're going through a rationalization process, you're, are you looking at those 8,000 apps? We're looking at that eight, those okay. 8,000 apps because you've got to categorize. Oh, yeah. All, all which, ones cloud, which ones are ready for cloud? Which ones are ready for cloud? Which ones you can get rid of. <laughs> and which ones you can get rid of. So so, so I, I do not envision us trying to migrate 8,000 apps. That's good news. What I envision us <laughs> doing is rationalizing down to probably about 5,000. Uh, and, and that's probably what we're going to be dealing with. And the other uh, realization we came to with the market research that we've done uh, is that not all apps need to be moved to the cloud. So there'll be some that will remain in uh, legacy data centers. So we've gone through, uh, we've been uh, on this journey of data center consolidation now since about 2012. And so we've gone from about 1,334 data centers down to with a goal by FY22 to have uh, remaining 306, four core data centers, but 306 total. And that's, as you can imagine, pretty significant uh, savings associated with that. But operationally, it allows us to aggregate our data. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can jump into some of those uh, virtual training pieces, AI, robotics process automation, important things. My guest is Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, Army CIO G6. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, Army CIO G6. Now, General Crawford, we're talking about cloud, we're talking about network modernization. All of that is, is again, we'll call this the enabler to the emerging technologies. And one of the big emerging technologies, you mentioned earlier on a little bit about robotics, but also artificial intelligence, machine learning. Mm-hmm. Where do those, if you will, emerging technologies fit into your priorities, your, your plans? First and foremost, starting at the DOD level, I, I know that you and your listeners are aware that uh, the DOD recently stood at the Joint uh, AI Center. And so from the Army staff, we actually have uh, members uh, that are on that team. Uh, Colonel Mark Orwat is actually leading the architecture and infrastructure uh, team uh, at the JIAC, and this is a joint team. Um, and the priorities uh, at the JIAC or uh, ISR, uh, then they've got uh, humanitarian relief, and then they've got maintenance and logistics. Or, or kind of the three what they call national mission initiatives. So inside the Army, uh, about uh, 90 days ago, the Army stood up its first, uh, you know, again, a first for the Army, an Army AI task force. Uh, the lead for that is a, a gentleman by the name of Brigadier General Matt Easley, a signal officer, uh, like myself, but he reports directly to Army Futures Command. So let's take a step back and think about the importance of AI. Two nation states in the last, I'd say, six months have made some fairly declarative statements about the importance of AI. One nation state has said uh, in in, uh, open forum uh, that AI, the the nation state that dominates in AI, uh, has the potential to rule the world. Uh, The other nation state has specifically said uh, that the, the nation state that dominates in AI, or that, well, I'll back up, that AI... Uh, is the key to overcoming the U.S. military as the uh, most dominant fighting force in the world. So if you think about the importance of AI, there are significant investments being made by what we'll call peer competitors uh, in the AI space. So that said, inside the DOD, we got the stand-up of the Joint AI Center. Inside the Army, for the first time ever, we've got the stand-up of the AI Task Force uh, that reports directly to Army Futures Command. Uh, and so as the CIOG6 and a part of the Secretary of the Army's uh, AI uh, Task Force Directive, 
there are really six tasks uh, that I've got, and I'll just talk about a couple of those uh, because this really is a team effort across the Army staff to make this a reality. And we're working side by side uh, with the AI task force. Uh, the very first uh, has to do with the subject we just mentioned. It has to do with cloud. Uh, and it has to do with this idea of we must be able to aggregate and then protect our data. There are a couple of pieces of that. So you've got to have a, a data strategy because not all of your data is ready to be aggregated. So conditions have to be set for that. So that's the first task for the, uh, the uh, Army CIO in enabling the AI task force. Uh, as I said, there are six tasks, and I won't go in uh, to all of them, but the second big task has to do with developing and recommending policy changes that have to do with uh, access uh, to that data. That was back to the uh, identity credentialing, authentication, and access management uh, tasks uh, that I mentioned earlier. And then, uh, so certification and accreditation. We haven't talked a lot about the risk management framework. Um, but we have got, as you all know, this is a process when we transitioned from DICAP uh, back in about 2015 to the risk management framework. Uh, it was intended to allow commanders and, and leaders and system owners to re manage risk. What it came with, though, was about an 800% increase in <laughs> workload, the number of things you've actually got to do, actual controls. It didn't come with any money or resources to do that. So you can imagine when we transitioned from DICAP to the risk management framework, uh, there was a dip in our, our stats in terms of uh, certification and accreditation. And a, di a backlog got created uh, in terms of authorities uh, to operate. And so, so what has to happen? Think about the exponential growth in technology. And so what are the, what, what's, what's the one thing that prevents something from receiving authority and authority to operate on your network, whether it's cloud and data or an actual weapon system that needs to be connected to the network? It's the risk management framework. And so it has to be streamlined. Uh, the good news is uh, that both DOD and inside the Army, we have taken that on. Uh, in terms that there are some really innovative things that are being done by uh, the Air Force and the Navy uh, that we're not only flight following, but that we are partnering with them. The IC has done some phenomenal work in terms of streamlining uh, the, uh, the RMF process. Uh, where what my focus is in the RMF process is what pieces can we automate? You know, what portions of the RMF process can we actually automate to get speed uh, and develop, uh, I won't call it a list, but this uh, criteria that says if you, we automate and you do these 10 or 12 things, we're going to give you an interim authority to operate to actually connect to the network while we work on those other controls. So more to follow on that. Uh, I believe uh, it's one of the fundamental things that we've got to do if we were to achieve the vision of the Army of 2028 um, is we've got to figure out how to to streamline the RMF process so that we can get the speed that's required to be able to get things connected to the network and get weapon systems and technology uh, in place. All right, a couple of things I want to kind of back up with you on. On First of all, the Army task force around AI. Mm -hmm. I know that's not necessarily coming out of your office. You said right. Brigadier General Easley, mm -hmm. but you guys are going to play a role in, in, in oh, the task oh, force. Oh, absolutely. But, so, so, so maybe if you could just give me a sense of what their, how does that relate back to the, the joint AI center that obviously DOD is leading? Inside the Army. Right. Um, so I mentioned the stand-up of the AI task force. In the AI task force, there were six tasks that were given to the CIOG6. So I mentioned three of them, right. the, the, uh, and there are all actually three more. So our contribution 
uh, not to get into the details of all six, is performing those tasks because you're going to need a network. Uh, first, you've got to get your data aggregated uh, in order to use the AI tools that will be developed. But you're going to require a very robust and resilient network in order for this to become a reality. The other piece I want to just briefly touch upon is, uh, and it relates back to cybersecurity, is the uh, identity credential access management piece. Mm -hmm. And I know that part of your goal is to develop and, and recommend some policy changes. Mm -hmm. The roles, responsibilities, zero right. trust networks, if right. you will, mm -hmm. all that's got to play in it. Is, is that where you guys are heading? That, that, that's exactly where we're going. I, I'll give you an example. where so, so we've been having a conversation about ICAM. We'll call it ICAM for now. So we have to say the whole thing. Right. In the context of its relationship to data, uh, whether it's uh, discussing the relationship of ICAM and its relationship to the cloud effort or a relationship to, to the AI effort. But here's where it becomes a readiness issue. If you look at our Garden Reserve, our Compo 2 and 3, the vast majority of them do not have a government-issued device and, and, and likely don't want one because they have their personal device. And so why shouldn't we pursue an option that allows us to containerize government information a lot on their personal device all right, which then allows them to use their personal device to access the things that they need that reside on the government networks. But what I'm talking about is a two-factor authentication solution. So this is, so, so there's, a, again, a cloud piece of this, there's a data piece of this, but there's really a readiness piece of this because today that's a capability gap uh, for our garden reserve. If you look at the generational uh, change, the vast majority, my, my, my son's a captain, uh, in the Army. I, I doubt very seriously they are clamoring for, hey, give me a government device. They, they want to be able to use their personal device, uh, and they want to be able to access the information from anywhere uh, at the place and time, time of their choosing. And so whether or not we ever get rid of CAC, so that's a discussion to be had, uh, but I'm not sure that's the question. It's back to when you, the, the vision of the Army, anywhere, uh, anytime, against any foe. A key piece of mobility, which is related to the anytime, anywhere against any foe, is the solution to this two-factor authentication discussion, whether it's a biometric solution or some other kind of two-factor authentication solution. This, this really becomes a modernization effort, but it's really a readiness issue, and it's a right-now readiness issue, not a tomorrow issue. I know you said that the AI task force just kicked off about 90 days ago, so it's still early parts. Do you have a deadline for recommendations? Do you hope to get done, get them to Army Secretary or, or, or Chief of Staff right, by right. certain so, so, so the very first thing that they did was they, they stood up the task force, Brigadier General Easley. He got his guidance and marching orders from uh, the Commanding General of, of Futures Command. Um, in the Army, we use the term building combat power. So what he's doing now is he's assessing. So what AI projects are out there now that are, uh, you know, I'll call ready? Uh, because as you all know, there, there are a variety of different projects across all the services that started uh, many years ago. So he's assessing what projects are, are ready. Uh, he's giving thought to building his team, uh, blue team talent. You know, what talent does he need on his team uh, to do what? But he's also having a conversation about, so what should his priorities be? I would argue that the six modernization priorities that are already outlined by the Secretary and the Chief. Um, in conversations with Matt, he's closely assessing the AI requirements of each one of those six modernization parties to include the other two uh, cross-functional teams that are doing synthetic training environment and assured position navigation and timing. 
you know, if we're going to achieve the vision, it, it's, you know, not a leap to assume that every one of those priorities actually has an AI component to it. So Matt, that's the work that Matt's doing right now. It's rather than rush to a solution, assess what's, what, what's happening right now across the Army and across the Joint Force, because there's a lot of great work being done in the other services, build his team. Which, which he's doing, and then start to give some thought to what recommendations he's going to make to the chief and the secretary in terms of the priorities. The six things, tasks that I have as a CIO that are network-related or data-related are going to have to happen regardless. Mm-hmm. How those happen will be determined by what Matt lays out as, as the priority. So more to come. Yeah, more to come, absolutely. <laughs> it, it's an exciting time. It's just mean, got started. If you, if you think about the last 18 months, uh, inside the Army, I know that you've been following us uh, pretty closely. I, I've said uh, a few times that institutionally, we're in a different place than we were just 12 months ago, just 18 months ago. When you think of the things that have happened uh, in, inside the Army, uh, and, and many of these are reform efforts uh, that, that we've taken on. All right, so let's take a quick break. We can come back. We can finish up our conversation. My guest is Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, Army CIO G6. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, Army CIO G6. You mentioned uh, the, the certification accreditation process, the, the, the authority to operate. Mm-hmm. You said there was a bit of a backlog that developed as you guys moved from DICAP. Yes, to- from 2015 to, to, to now. Yeah. So we've been able to reduce that backlog uh, that developed as, as a part of the, the whole certification and accreditation part. But what we'd like to do is I want to move from, okay, so move from reducing the backlog to really get after what we're looking for, which is examining the process understanding what work has been done inside the IC and others who are innovating in this space to include getting feedback from commercial and defense industry because they've definitely got opinions on on some policy uh, changes that, that need to be made uh, that have to do with RMF. And then, you know, automating as much as we can, as fast as we can. And uh, so I'm not, I don't want to try and boil the ocean, but what I really like to do is iterate. Mm-hmm. So that six months from now, twelve months from now, we got a better process than what we have today. And is the backlog because one of the biggest challenges that, that when I talk to CIOs about specifically about cybersecurity is that if if there's if the certification accreditation is not up to date, if the ATO is not full, right. mm-hmm. the interim is kind of squishy, right? And the, that Absolutely. OMB will tell you it's not really allowed under FISMA, right. and it's not allowed. And I know DOD is a little separate than FISMA, but but you guys follow it closely enough. Mm-hmm. So have you been able to get that backlog down to a place where you're comfortable a- and there's not major systems that you're going, oh, you know, giving right. you a headache? <laughs> right, right. So so we've been able to reduce the backlog, but it was muscle. Yeah, uh, we had a muscle. We, oh, yeah. we, we had to manually do a lot of things, and so we got to ask ourselves: Is that the way of the future? Uh, that we want to, you know, manually do this, or do we want to uh, develop a better actual process? And so this is uh, one of the reasons. This is a great example of why our secretary put us on the road of reform. Um, it's not just about so. My, so readiness is absolutely our number one priority, and there are no other number one priorities. Our ability to fight tonight, if called upon by the nation, modernization. Think of that as future readiness. Yeah. All right. But it's going to take reform of some of the existing processes, of some of the existing policies in order to be able to have the resources required to put back into readiness and to put back into modernization. And so this is a uh, as good a reform example as I can think of right now. When you think about a process that was designed to actually enable and help you, yeah. 
But the way it was implemented across all the services, I don't believe it met the intended purpose or is meeting the intended purpose. So what do we do? This is the process we have, not the one we need. Uh, so we've got to evolve this process, which means you've got to talk to people. And uh, I think the services are doing a real good job. And there's some round wheels out there that we can grab to get after this. And we're not just starting. Uh, there's a pilot uh, that actually started in October uh, that will end in March, uh, April time frame. I believe it's April that we, we took on inside the Army to be able to automate uh, the RMF process, the pieces of RMF that we can automate, leveraging discussions with the IC and discussions with others. And so more to follow on how this pans out. But this is what I want to use this particular pilot to inform kind of the next steps that we take in automating the RMF process. Sir, I know there's so much more to talk about. We're just about out of time before I let you go. One of the things I know that a lot of industry definitely listens to my show, so take it from a priority perspective. Over the next 12 months, what should they know that you are going to be focused on and and what's your message to them? Yeah, number one is protecting our data. And so given what I've said about the diversity and volume of data, not only that we have now, but with the six modernization parties that we're going to create, we've got to create the ability to protect uh, our data. Uh, inside the Army. And so there are several mechanisms to do that. Uh, the second priority has to do with IT investment accountability. Uh, and, and so it's a creating the ability to see ourselves and really understand uh, in the context of total asset visibility what we actually, not just what we have in our networks, but what IT investments uh, that, that we're actually making. Uh, and so uh, last but certainly not least, as a service models. And, and, and so how do I create an environment where we can better leverage uh, the innovation and ideas of industry? Uh, what uh, commercial and defense industry can expect from the Army is a very, very close examination of as a service models. Where we're talking network as a service uh, or uh, some of the more innovative solutions that exist today and that are you know, kind of being uh, developed in terms of satellite as a service. So expect a very close examination and significant interest from the United States Army in this idea of network as a service. Getting ourselves uh, out of the business of owning very expensive uh, infrastructure that costs a lot uh, to be able to upgrade taking advantage of some of the innovative solutions when it comes to satellite technologies that a lot of the, uh, you know, that segment of the marketplace today are innovating at a pace pace much faster than any pace uh, that we could keep up with. So I'd say protecting our data, uh, IT investment accountability, and then a close examination of the as-a-service models. And this is more near-term than long-term. Uh, here in the next 12 months, uh, and significant interest from the Army is, is what they can expect. Very good, sir. I know we're out of time. We can talk much longer, so we'll have you back on the show in, in the short term. Let me thank my guest, Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, Army CIO G6. Uh, Lieutenant General Crawford, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thank you very much for what you do. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.